show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and it's gone right to my head. Wherever I may roam, on land or sea or foam, you can always hear me sing this song. Show me the way to go home. Hello and welcome to the virtual pub for some drinks, trivia and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim, and I'm joined, this time for sure, by my drinking buddy, Ileri. Um, So, what happened to you last time? Where were you? I was still recovering from our little birthday jolly. Ah, so that's because while I was talking about uh, Leafy, or Leaf, we were in fact in nearby Leaf, nor nearby to Leaf, in Edinburgh at the Fringe. Yes, and I was killing more brain cells, therefore <laughs> rendering my memory useless. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was it was entirely sort of the most appropriate, but also the theme we didn't want to address while we were enjoying ourselves in Scotland. Um, but are you drinking something appropriately Scottish in response? I have the whiskey that I bought from Duty Free on the way back from our trip to Scotland. <laughs> Yay! And I Yay! am drinking Iron Brew. <laughs> and to make it even more Scottish, I have put some Scottish gin in it. So Ooh. I'm actually drinking a gin and Iron Brew. <laughs> for it. That is actually a thing. Not to give anything oh, away. Okay. I might talk about it. Teaser. Teaser for something upcoming. Um, so we... We, I think we've heard before several times on this podcast that you um, have a very strong image of the, what the Scottish drink, and that's Buckfast. <laughs> yes. You were under the impression that Buckfast was going to be available in every bar, every street corner, every shop, every yeah. chippy. Um, I thought it came out the taps. You thought it came out the taps. So, knowing that we were heading up to Edinburgh, you really believed you were going to easily get your hands on a Buckfast. What happened? I could not find Buckfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I spent the entire weekend drinking some schmancy craft beers instead, <laughs> yeah. which was fine. Mm -hmm. But I just did not get to drink Buckfast. I'm sad. Yeah, I uh, we had Scottish beers and we did have some whiskey, but uh, mm -hmm. Buckfast was not on the menu. We almost had it at a restaurant that was serving it as a sauce. They'd made a yeah, Buckfast a restaurant sauce. that seemed hell-bent of just not giving us food that weekend. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it, anytime we tried to go there, it was closed. Um, so that, that didn't happen either. Food didn't happen very much at all. Um, how, how did you enjoy Fringe? Oh, it was good. It was like a little bubble of booze and comedy and nonsense and weirdness. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. You had um, given it to me as a 40th birthday present and uh, surprised me with extra friends as well. And we had, yeah, as you say, a week of absolute nonsense and culture and art and fun. But we, we thought we would honour that experience uh, today by talking about Buckfast and Iron Brew. <laughs> of course. <laughs> two, two very Scottish drinks uh, in association but um, not necessarily in origin, um, and not necessarily yeah. the most highly regarded either. <laughs> so I think this kind of comes with a, a, an early apology for all of Scotland, but this is yeah. what we are going to talk about. We did drink a lot of wine brew in Scotland. Oh, yeah. That was kind of our go-to. Uh, we're a bit drunk and or hangover. We should just have an iron brew instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My... my... 
rhythm in Scotland was 9am coffee, 11am iron brew, by midday I'm ready for some beer. Yeah. <laughs> and then Perfect. post 10pm was whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Mine was that with the added whinge that I couldn't find Buckfast anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Should we get stuck in? Let's do it. All right. So Buckfast is a tonic wine for anyone who does not know that. Um, which uh, is a caffeinated alcoholic drink, which means that pure caffeine has been added to fortified wine. Um, so you already know you're onto a winner with that one. Uh, originally made by monks at Buckfast Abbey in Devon, England. My old neck of the woods. In fact, it's on the mm. edge of Dartmoor between Exeter and Plymouth. So even though all these episodes you've had the stronger association of Buckfast being scottish and i kept telling you it was devonian because i remember seeing it when i was down in devon being out and about because it was made not far away um but in turn it's actually based on a traditional recipe from france so i know the first question you all want to know is how alcoholic is it that was your that was your uh, cue to ask how alcoholic is it oh sorry i thought it, i was supposed to say like mesopotamia i don't know um how alcoholic is it <laughs> thanks so buckfast contains 15 percent alcohol in the 750 mil green bottled uk version and just slightly below 14.8 percent in the republic of ireland version where it is also packaged in a darker bottle um so it has a slightly lower alcoholic strength and it also lacks the added vanillin flavouring that has been put into the British version. Um, so, perhaps not as alcoholic as some people might assume it is, because it's essentially, you know, it's a strong wine, it's a port, it's a fortified wine. I know the next question you want to ask is, how caffeinated is it? How caffeinated is it, Tim? Oh, she's learning. Um, so the <laughs> the brown bottle Buckfast that sells in Ireland has a caffeine content which is about equal to a strong espresso, so 60 milligrams. And um, that's higher than Red Bull for other references. Uh, whereas in the UK, uh, the green bottle Buckfast has a caffeine content which is about the strength of a strong cup of tea. So, slightly less alcohol in the Irish version, but slightly more caffeine, which perhaps we wouldn't have assumed, um, I say, bringing international stereotypes even further afield. Um, I guess your next question is, what is tonic wine? What's tonic wine, Tim? So, um, <laughs> I've got in the notes here, otherwise known as bum wines or bum vino. <laughs> 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 um... You know, a, a bum referring to a down and out person, not you're behind. Uh, oh, right, yeah, okay, just sorry. to. Oh, I'm with you. Just to clarify, because <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Um, <laughs> it's a flavoured fortified wine. So, um, inexpensive fortified wines that typically have alcohol content between 13 and 20% ABV, and they're made with various fruits. They're not that fussy. It doesn't have to be grapes, it could be citrus fruits. And then they add sugar, they add artificial flavours, they add artificial colours. So that's the, the deliciousness sounding of, mm. of a tonic wine. It's, it's cheap, fortified wine with lots of stuff thrown in it. Um, so now we know what it is, should we find out kind of where it came from, a bit of history? Please do. 
All right. Where did it come from? Ben? Where did it come from? <laughs> we can stop doing that now. I'm over that. <laughs> it worked three times. And now I'm pushing it. Uh, I'll tell you. Do you know what? First of all, just to mention on Buckfast Abbey because this uh, this monastery has been through it. Uh, it existed as early as the 11th century uh, during the reign of King Canute, um, which you have to be careful when you're reading that quickly because it is spelt c-n-u-t um <laughs> and it was so it was a, a saxon an old saxon monastery and then it grew from that time quite slowly uh through the wool farming that happened um around that area because they've got the river dart they've got dartmoor they've got lots of space um, and then they started owning more and more property around devon including things like you know houses in exeter and other farms and stuff and then, of course, the Black Death came along in the 14th century and uh, decimated their, their numbers. It fell into ruin. It was rebuilt after the Black Death, just in time for the dissolution of the monasteries in the 16th century, when um, all the riches were sent off to old Henry VIII uh, instead. And then it fell into ruin again. <laughs> it was used as a quarry, uh, then as a wool mill. Um, say back to the wall later on before eventually being um, sold back to the monks in the late 19th century uh, and these were Benedictine monks um, so the Benedictine monks made at Buckfast Abbey first made the tonic wine in the 1890s so that's where we're going for Buckfast origins sort of um, it was originally smalled in small quantities as medicine and had the slogan three small glasses a day for good health and lively blood I believe the lively blood part for sure. <laughs> um, Benedictines, by the way, uh, um, as as an order. Um, so they're not really in order, despite being called that, because they, they don't operate under a single hierarchy. Instead, they're a collection of autonomous monasteries. Um, it's represented internationally by the Benedictine Confederation, which was set up in 1893. So this is happening at the same time as it being established as this benedictine confederation um, and that was really just to represent their shared interests so they don't have like a, a general or any um mother house but instead they elect what's called an abbot primate not you know not a baboon but that, that's what they call it uh, to represent <laughs> themselves to i mean it would be better wouldn't it but to represent their interests to the vatican and also to the world but i want you to know that they are distinct from trappists who are also boozy monks, but we will explore them in a future episode. So Benedictines and Trappists are very different. Um, St. Benedict, by the way, is a patron saint for the protection against poisons, somewhat ironically. Uh, and also spelunking, should you fancy it. <laughs> I, I often do. <laughs> <laughs> Spelunk of a weekend. Uh, so Buckfast tonic wine uh, begins around about 1897. And I said it comes from France. The nephew of a French monk visited Buckfast Abbey in Devon and brought the recipe with him. So what was going on in France in the late 19th century is that there were a lot of anti-clerical laws um, brought about, which created severe attacks upon the Catholic Church. So whereas we had our sort of dissolution of the monasteries in, in the UK in uh, the 16th century, France sort of did their big we're going to become secular at the, at the end of the 19th. Uh, there were a group of Benedictine monks near Dijon. They were forced out of their abbey. They fled France. They went to Dublin. 
Uh, in the early 1880s, they heard that there was a property going at Buckfast Abbey, which was on the market, and in 1882, they acquired it and moved to Devon. So their French monks come to Devon via Ireland. Um, and at this time, they were making their living mostly by producing medicines, ointments, liniments. Um, and one of those medicines was a wine based on a recipe similar to communion wines, really, or mistel, um, as it's known in France, where you add alcohol to unfermented grape juice so that it's, it's cheaper and it's sweeter. Um, and that was really the, the basis that evolved into Buckfast tonic wine. So if you remember all of our stuff from communion wine, this is like a evolution of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then by the early 20th century, the community of monks had kind of aged and uh, let's say dwindled uh, <laughs> considerably. And one of the monks was German and set off to his German home to recruit younger uh, men to become monks and bring them back to Buckfast Abbey. So we've now got French monks via Ireland settling in Devon, hopping over to German Germany to recruit a few more people. And this community of now predominantly German monks uh, did prosper until World War One. But because they were German, the community around them viewed them with suspicion um, and they were actually interned within the Abbey for the duration of the war. So, again, not having a good time. After the war, the monks decided that they wanted to rebuild the original Abbey and the church. I imagine kind of as a way of trying to um, endear themselves to the community a bit more after everything that had gone on. Uh, after searching, they eventually did discover the original foundations of the medieval abbey, uh, and the building of the abbey was completed in the late 1930s. So in the early 1930s, they're working hard to try and sell their tonic wine in order to raise funds for this. Um, and at the time, their recipe was, you know, it was still quite medicinal. But the severe licensing laws that came in after the war meant that it was actually impossible for the monks to obtain a license. So at this point, what they had to do was think about partnerships. And there was a chance visit to the Abbey um, from the wine merchants J. Chandler and Company Limited, who were a London-based wine merchant um, founded by Mr. Robert Joyce, who acquired it, well, not founded, he acquired it in the early 1920s. And he went on holiday to the West Country and visited Buckfast Abbey with his daughter Gertrude. And they were... Great name. I love that name. Gertrude. Yeah, it's yeah. strong, isn't it? Um, and the monks were selling off the last of their tonic wine stock. And, uh, you know, by chance, and Joyce said, oh, why aren't you selling any more of it? Because he quite liked it. And he was told about the problem of obtaining the license. So he said, well, we can sell it for you. And they had discussions after a few months of negotiation. They reformulated the tonic wine, so it was less of its medicinal origins and, and more of a pleasure drink. Uh, and then they um, set up a separate company, so under J. Chandler & Co., but brackets Buckfast. And they began selling the Buckfast tonic wine that you can get today, basically, pretty much. And today it has sales somewhere around the £43 million mark, would you believe. Mm. Uh, you can still visit the working Buckfast Abbey. They have a visitor centre where you can get the booze at the gift shop, <laughs> get smashed at the Abbey. And um, just as a curiosity, the Abbey is also the home to um, the St. Thomas More's hair shirt. Um, you know what a hair shirt is? You're looking at me like... No. It's basically, it's a really uncomfortable piece of clothing um, that 
very religious people would wear to punish themselves. It's a form of like self-flagellation, a hair shirt. Sounds but they've got brilliant. that on display <laughs> if you want to go and check that out. <laughs> I'd want to put it on. Like, what's the fuss about? What, what are you punishing yourself for? Uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, was gonna say, I think in repentance you have to be specific. You can't just kind of go, look at me. <laughs> You can't be like this. Um, what are you atoning for? This, all of this. <laughs> that prosecco I made in episode one. Yeah, okay, that's a very good reason. Yeah, that's a good reason to put on hair shirt. Um, before we move away from uh, tonic wine, I thought I'd tell you about a couple of other sort of related tonic wines that you might enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is Van Mariani which is um, French, and it's a coca wine. It's got cocaine in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a coca wine and patent medicine created in the 1860s by Angelo Mariani, who's a French chemist from Corsica. Uh, Mariani became intrigued with coca, who isn't, and its medicinal and economic <laughs> potential after reading Paolo Mantegazza's paper on the effects of coca. So in the 1860s, they started marketing coca wine, which is called Van Tonique Mariani, which was actually made from coca leaves, as you would expect, and Bordeaux wine, which is, it's like Imagine such... the parties. I know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, France in the um, in the 19th century is quite wild. Um, the So what happens is the, the ethanol in the wine, the, the alcohol, acts as a solvent to extract the cocaine from the coca leaves. Um, it originally contained six milligrams of cocaine per fluid ounce. It's quite a lot, I think. Um, but, um, when it was exported, it contained 7.2. So they were like, nah, let's put even more cocaine in it. (laughs) Um, I bet that's because there were similar cocaine, high cocaine content drinks in the United States. Uh, so the ads for Van Mariani claimed that it would restore health, strength, energy, and vitality. Um, it was so popular that it was endorsed by two popes. <laughs> pope Leo XIII, Pope St. Pius X. They both loved drinking it. Uh, and in fact, Pope Leo appeared on a poster campaign endorsing the cocaine wine and awarded it a Vatican Amazing. gold medal. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Uh, they just hate the age we're living in now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely Um So Van Mariani was... Apparently, the inspiration for John S. Pemberton's 1885 coca wine drink, uh, which is called Pemberton's French Wine Coca. And the, so the recipe was very similar to Van Mariani, included the coca leaves, etc. So very likely it came from there. It was only differentiated because he'd added another ingredient to it, which was the African cola nut, uh, which became that drink's source of caffeine. And then later that year, when... Um, uh, Atlanta and Fulton County in Georgia, they passed prohibition legislation. So Pemberton responded by developing a carbonated, non-alcoholic version of his French wine coca, um, which he then called Coca-Cola. Yeah, I was going to say he liked Coca-Cola. Yeah. So an indirect route between Buckfast and Coca-Cola. Don't you know? Love it. Yeah. Crazy tonic wines. Um, In general, you find the story of tonic wines is that they become popular in countries during prohibition or economic downturn. (laughs) 
So basically when people are desperate is when tonic wine suddenly explodes in popularity. Uh, another example I've got of that for you is um, after US Prohibition when Thunderbird really uh, took off. It's an American American tonic wine called Thunderbird. Uh, mm. Flavoured, fortified wine, 13 to 18%, the usual. It was made by Ernest Gallo, which is a big winemaker. I'm sure you will have um, seen on the bottle of something. Uh, so he ordered the development of this wine upon discovering that inexpensive white port wine was popular in inner city um, and uh, uh, underdeveloped neighbourhoods where shopkeepers would display lemon juice bottles and Kool-Aid packets, you know, that sort of powdered flavour thing um, that Americans like. Um, <laughs> I can think of the word then, like, is that too strong? consume um and they, so they displayed lemon juice and kool-aid next to the the cheap wine and people would buy both of them and then mix them together themselves there's oh um gosh. there's this 1957 radio jingle that goes uh what's the word thunderbird how's it sold good and cold what's the jive birds alive what's the price 30 twice so it costs 60 cents um to put that into perspective the minimum wage at that time was a dollar per hour so it's still really cheap. If you're thinking, oh, 60 cents, <laughs> was that like a five an hour or whatever? No, it's still really cheap. Um, so Gallo's, Gallo's salesman had an interesting approach um, to how they were going to market this. They dropped, um, <laughs> they dropped bottles of Thunderbird in the streets of Skid Row neighbourhoods to build brand awareness. And salesmen were even even giving away free samples to alcoholics and newly released prisoners. Oh gosh! They lit- they got them hooked by literally putting it in their hands. Jesus! Now that's some targeted that's marketing. Dark. And yeah. this is the period and place where the term wino comes from. Ah. So describing any sort of alcoholic as a wino comes specifically from them drinking this tonic wine uh, tonic in this period. Wine. And I think that is the perfect note to ask you about why it's known as a Scottish thing. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Um, See, like you've said, like Buckfast is, it's not like hideously strong. It's 15%, which in the grand scheme of things, it's it's not massively strong. Um, It's not really cheap either. It's about seven quid a bottle on average mm-hmm. so yeah it's not strong it's not cheap why why is it got this reputation and like you said it's the caffeine content it's very high in caffeine and we have talked about it in previous um podcasts i remember talking about four loco in the mm-hmm. us which is like a canned caffeinated alcohol type thing that's about four or five percent again it's not massively strong but people just seem to go crazy on it i think it's the caffeine um but yeah why is it so kind of why is why does everyone assume it's scottish why is it so popular there um the most prevalent theory is that it was popularized in glasgow by celtic fans in the 70s um due to its similarity to communion wine mm-hmm. um so that's why well, if you if you look into it research it google it whatever that that's what you'll find is that yeah it was in the 70s it was very similar to communion wine and then it just took off in um glasgow in particular but in scotland um there's a an area of glasgow known as the buckfast triangle where it was particularly popular which is airdrie Coatbridge, and bells hill where it was particularly prevalent um 
but unfortunately it does have this reputation for causing carnage <laughs> <laughs> um so it's it's become the drink of choice for neds so do you know the term ned i do i do it's it's basically it's um a, a regional scottish um derogatory term like we might also call people chavs or scallies yeah. or things like that yeah so ned's ned it stands for a non-educated delinquent no it doesn't oh that's what i read myth busted myth busted, myth busted. <laughs> Um, no. I'm afraid, my dear, that's a backronym uh, that came in yeah. in the 21st century. Whenever whenever you hear an acronym like that, 99% of the time it's a backronym. Um, yeah. it, it, its use actually goes back to the 19th century um, in, in a way that it's just kind of like a generic name. Like you might call okay. people Johns or Marys or whatever in, in other kind of uh, terms where it's been used to describe a range of people but it certainly wasn't an acronym at, at that time but it's been used yeah. quite a lot throughout the years yeah afraid that's afraid that's recent indeed all right well it's it's a hooligan a ned is a hooligan yeah um but unfortunately hooligans commit violent crimes uh and hooligans are often drunk on buckfasts <laughs> oh it's, it's not the best um they've given their own little names to buckfast as a result um Kind of the most common one, and the one that kind of comes up in Glaswegian assault trials is the Bucky made me do it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Bucky is quite a popular name for Buckfast, but um, they've been quite creative. They call it Wreck the Hoose Juice, Commotion Lotion. Um, There are lots of other names that they've given to it, but um, and an unofficial slogan as well is Buckfast gets you fucked fast. Um, (laughs) I do, I do love Scottish slogans. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, unfortunately, it it does have this reputation that anyone drinking Buckfast is going to get violent and ridiculous. Um, But and it makes sense actually after you give us the history of the um, the Abbey. The monks are having none of it. <laughs> I think they've been through enough shit. They're just like, no, we're yeah. not having the blame for this. Yeah. Um, so the monks, along with the distribution partner, J. Chandler and Co., um, they point blank refuse to take the blame. Um, they they just say, you know, it's it's a minority of their customers that uh, have this criminal behaviour. There are a lot of alcohol kind of problems across the UK, let alone in Scotland, and a lot of... Yeah, a lot of cr- crime is committed by people who are drunk. Um, but the percentage of alcohol sales in Scotland, when you look at it next to Buckfast, it's it's quite small. So they were like, you can't blame Buckfast for the alcoholic kind of crimes mm-hmm. here in uh, Glasgow and Scotland. Um, they've had lots of pressure from police, press, politicians. Um, you know, they've been asked to cut down on the amount they produce. They've been asked to change their packaging because obviously... In a glass bottle, there were instances where people were using buckfast bottles in assaults and etc. So all kinds of nonsense that was being pointed at them. Um, but they were having none of it. In 2013, they actually took uh, the police to court. Um, it was Strathclyde Police. and um, They'd found out that a police officer had actually asked 
a shopkeeper to stop selling buckfast he'd gone in and just told them like you need to stop selling this is causing xyz problems Mm -hmm. and so they were like actually no we're not having that and they took it to court and they did manage to get an apology for the police um so that was in 2013 um but they weren't forced into it but they were being pressured to stop using glass for the bottles as a result of everything that was going on um, so they did actually try to use cans. They introduced cans in 2014. Um, they did a batch of 16,000 cans, Buckfast, and it sold out within the first month. Um, but interestingly, that there's very little to be found on that beyond that. I tried searching for, you know, what happened to Buckfast cans, mm. tried seeing if you could buy them. There's just nothing on it. There were lots of kind of news stories and positive press stories about how these um, cans are going to be more environmentally friendly as well as causing hopefully less attacks with glass and this and the other. But it just seemed to fizzle out. There was no mention of it anymore. Um, They just did one run of cans and that was that. (laughs) So they still bottle it in glass and thankfully not getting too much beef for it. I don't want to dwell on the negatives because there's still some nice, lovely, positive stories in uh, modern popularity. Sure. Uh, lots of nice brand crossovers that they've done because people love the taste of Buckfast. Um, I found things such as Easter eggs, sausages, um, steak pies, sweets, all kinds of things that are either Buckfast flavoured or got hints of Buckfast in it. Um, there's also a very popular app called Wreck the Who's Juice, which is made by the Buckfast fan club. Um, and if you download that app, you can use it to find your nearest supplier of Buckfast. So... <laughs> Do you know what? I Today, I tried to find some Buckfast. I was like, I'm going to get something in a bison. <laughs> and my search came to naught and I was on the internet and I was like, I wonder if it'll tell me if there's somewhere near. And when it said I had to download an app... Rather than just use, like, if it was a web search, I'd have gone for it. I'd have I'd have walked a mile to get a buck fast. But when they were like, you actually have to have an app on your phone that says, find me buck fast. I thought, no, that's, I can't do that. That's too far. That's crossing, that's crossing a line. <laughs> I, I do love the fact that it's called Wreck the Who's Juice, though, the app. <laughs> um, there's also a National Buckfast Day. Uh, So that started in 2015, Mm -hmm. first ever National Buckfast Day. Um, By 2016, that had become World Buckfast Day because um, it's popular across the globe. Did you know that Buckfast has had a little cameo on The Simpsons? Ooh, was I mean, was it in relation to Groundskeeper Willie? Of course it was. So I imagine it wasn't flattering. Well, to be honest, it was very, very subtle. He didn't really um, talk about it or draw attention to it. He was just wandering around, and I think he was talking to Lisa, and he was just holding a bottle of Buckfast. (laughs) Uh, It's always an honour. Whatever the reference, it's always an honour to be on The Simpsons. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I feel like if it's in The Simpsons, it's fine. It's doing well. Um, But yeah, Buckfast Day is still going strong. Um, More often than not now, it's a chance for restaurants to introduce either Buckfast Nights or wild and wonderful recipes involving Buckfast. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a great one in 2019. Um, A restaurant in Glasgow, I say restaurant, pizza joint, Pizza Punks, uh, they launched what they dubbed the Ultimate Scottish Pizza. 
which was Buckfast beef brisket, haggis, broccoli, potato scones, and iron brew pulled pork. Wow, that's a lot of things. I was just trying to put it through my mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I ate meat, I'd be all over that. I was gonna say I have the vegan versions of that, which the restaurant we were going to did have. <laughs> yeah. It was, but that's awesome. Like sticky sauce, tasty things. Also, potato scones. Um, I think I found one that sounds slightly more insane than that one, though. Mm-hmm. Um, the Leith Depot, they do an affogato, which is a beer-battered Mars bar with vanilla ice cream and an iron brew reduction, and then poured over it is a shot of Buckfast. Okay. That's the, again, <laughs> lots of things going on. <laughs> definitely Scottish, though. That's definitely Scottish. I mean, the beer battered Mars bar on its own is going to feel like a heart attack. Mm-hmm. But then add ice cream and a and Buckfast and Iron Brew. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot going on. It's a lot of things. Uh, one interesting thing that I didn't delve too much into, but I just thought this is an interesting idea, is that um, the marketing team for Buckfast have started to go for the Asian market. Mm-hmm. Um and they've tried to essentially not rebrand, but like really look at the brand positioning of Buckfast and how were they gonna gonna get into that market. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing a lot on like social media and TikTok in China, and they've decided to go with kind of young, cool, hip millennials. That's where they're going in with it. Um, and they did a big sponsorship with a folk festival in China. Um, and they had all the acts on stage with their, you know, top knots and um, what do you call that? Like the lumberjack shirts mm-hmm. and the top knots and the acoustic guitar. You can picture them yeah. on stage swigging their Buckfast looking really cool. And th- that's the kind of image that they're going down with the Asian market, which is quite interesting that they've kind of repackaged the Buckfast brand and put it out there. Um, and yeah, if you look on TikTok, I know you're not on TikTok, so you won't. But uh, no, absolutely not. If you <laughs> if you look on, is TikTok, there a print version? <laughs> I'll print out a screenshot Ooh. for you and show you the hipsters in China. Thank you. Fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that was quite a, a, an interesting juxtaposition of like doing my research and just reading the very kind of full on reputation that it's got in Scotland, and mm. then seeing the quite kind of hipster vision in China it was weird and the last thing I found mm-hmm. uh, was um, there was a vintage bottle of Buckfast found <gasps> it's um, 80 years old wow that is vintage where was it found would you like to hazard a guess back of the sofa mm, close <laughs> was it found fa- was yeah no carry on one more guess Oh, um, is it? Oh, was it found in the foundations of a Glaswegian building site? Oh, so close. It was in the loft of a Glaswegian house. Ah, okay. Yeah. I went the wrong way. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, you can can just about make the text on the label. Mm -hmm. um, And the guy who found it got in touch with Jay Chandler and Co. to confirm that, in fact, yes, it is um, 80 years old. Um. And it was quite interesting that the the writing on the bottle that was you are able to read um, it said that um, Buckfast is a great cure for depression and pregnancy pain. Oh, I bet it is. 
<laughs> no specific outcome <laughs> mention, but I bet it is. <laughs> yeah. Blimey. Um, so it was a miniature bottle, so it wasn't as big as the 750ml bottles mm-hmm. that we've got now. It's smaller, but it sold for close to £800. Oh, I was expecting more. That's basically it's miniature. Well, yeah. Just for yeah. just for the lols. If you were <laughs> if you were a rich Scottish person, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and uh, once again, a, a, apologies, Scotland. Um, have you? <laughs> we had a lovely time there. I don't know why we're doing this to you. Uh, have on a related note, have you? Um, have you heard of Bucky Balls? <laughs> do I want to? <laughs> what do you think they are? Is it when you've drunk too much Buckfast and your balls go a bit weird? <laughs> and it's an excuse that men use in the bedroom, basically, for not being able to perform? <sighs> no, it's not, but it's, that's a good Damn. guess. Um, so okay. Bucky Balls is uh, another another name given to Buckminster Fullerene, which is um, a... How do I explain this to you? So you've got carbon atoms... There are 60 of them, and they are all shaped in like a cage, like a fused ring structure, um, also known as a truncated icosahedron, um, which ha- which is then made of 20 hexagons and 12 pentagons. So it looks like um, a football. It took, do, you, do you see how my mind works? I went for truncated icosahedron before I said football. Um, <laughs> so each of its <laughs> earlier when you were like Glaswegian Celtic, I'm so glad you said that because I would have gone Celtic. Um, so each of the sixty carbon atoms is bonded to three of its neighbours. So this is the structure we're looking at. So when you get carbon atoms, sixty of them that look like a football, that's called Buckminster Fullerene. Um, so it it looks like a black solid. It dissolves in hydrocarbon solvents, and it produces this violet solution. It was discovered in 1985, um, and it's been studied a lot because you know it looks interesting. But very few real world applications have yet been found for it. Um, so they they named what it's known as an allotrope. They named it after Buckminster Fuller who was the guy who designed um, geodesic dome structures that obviously then kind of look like the C60 um, allotrope. So if you think of, um, if you think of like sci-fi films and, or the Eden Project or like um, things in space when they have those domes over and they're all those sort of interconnected shapes, he, he, he's the guy who invented that shape, essentially, that structure. Um, and he died in 1983, the year before the discovery of Buckminster Fullerene. So that's why they chose him as the name to name this after. Uh, which is slightly misleading, actually, because um, Fuller's geodesic domes are constructed by dividing hexagons and pentagons into triangles, which are then deformed by moving vertices radially outward to fit the surface of a sphere. So geometrically speaking, they are actually Goldberg polyhedrons. But never mind. Um, <laughs> Buckminster Fuller was an interesting guy anyway. Um, so by so he by coincidence, Buckminster Fuller, this famous designer, was a depression era wino. <laughs> he had a job he had a job and um, then yeah, he became one of those winos. Um, he completely crashed, he lost his job, he lost everything. 
um, before he then had a revelation that his life's purpose was to you know be more of a humanitarian was to help people do more with less he became a designer and architect and environmental activist created these geodesic domes he um created a game in the 1960s which is kind of still exists and and, and people play called the world peace game where you have a big map of the world and the aim is just to try and create harmony and world peace with everyone um he's an interesting guy actually i mentioned kind of like his, his death being in 1983 he, it's one of those stories where um he went to the hospital because his wife was in a coma. Uh, he went to visit her and he, he felt her squeeze his hand and he was so excited that he had a heart attack and died and then his wife died the next day. Oh, fucking hell, this is bleak. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I thought it was kind of sweet that they died together. Aww, you know, really he was old. He was like, I think he was in his 80s or something. So, you know. <laughs> um anyway next yeah next uh, next maybe i should have spoken more about polyhedrons um but i think that will actually melt your brain if i do polyhedrons go right from the ancient greeks all the way to the most recently discovered goldberg polyhedron which was in 2014 it's, isn't it kind of like blow your mind that we're discovering shapes in 2014 I'm still drawing dicks on everything I can see. So. <laughs> okay, great. Um, anyway, and I also have an Edinburgh French connection to this because I went to see a play called Silver Bells and that was a sci-fi based on the supposed effects of buckyballs. Um, but also, because they were in Scotland, turned it into a joke about Buckfast. Oh. There you go. Full circle moment. <laughs> Should we go on to Iron Brew? Yes. How's your gin and iron brew going down, by the way? Absolute treat. Nice. Yep, yep. I uh, I like it very much, actually. <laughs> I mean, I like iron brew anyway. And what, I think... What it, gin have you got? Is it Edinburgh gin? No, it's actually Brewdog's Lone Wolf Gunpowder Gin. So it's the 57% Ooh. one. So it's giving it a little, little bit of a kick. Um, mm. But I think it's quite suitable for, for gin, actually, because it does have quinine in it. So it's it's like a tonic, you know? Yeah. Tonic is fizzy water, sugar and quinine, so is iron brew. Mm-hmm. And uh, other me? things. No, I'm not going to say it, actually. I, I won't nearly put a spoiler in there. Oh, okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll crack on with it then. So um, iron brew is often described as, as I said, it's carbonated soft drink. It's described as Scotland's other national drink, after whiskey, obviously. Um, and introduced in 1901, let's say for now. Uh, it's available throughout the world can usually be bought where there are um, a community of uh, Scottish nationals. Uh, this brand even has its own tartan, and it's been the top-selling soft drink in Scotland for over a century, competing directly with Coca-Cola. It's also the third best-selling soft drink in the UK, after Coca-Cola and Pepsi. Um, and it was also the third best-selling soft drink in Russia, until uh, AG Bar cut ties with them recently for obvious reasons. So there you go. What was that? <laughs> mm, I, I don't know. I'm not going to go. We've done two episodes on that. Um, there's a there's a claim that Scotland is the only country where Coca Cola isn't the most popular soft drink. As far as I can tell, here's the truth. In Peru, Inca Cola is the most popular, and in India, Thumbs Up is the most popular. However. Both of those were bought up by Coca-Cola in the 1990s. So it's actually true, mm. as far as I know. Um, AG Bar and Iron Brew 
um, is still independent because they did try to do a merger in 2013, but they couldn't agree the terms with it. So uh, denied Coca-Cola, Britvic, etc., whoever you are. Um, it's not actually made from girders, <laughs> despite the slogan. But it does contain 0.002% ammonium ferric citrates, uh, which... Oh, yum. Yep. Uh, which, like iron, helps the formation of blood cells. So there you it's go. Good for you, then. Similar. It's yeah. it basically it does have some sort of iron in it, and it does help you absorb iron. So you know, um, but it is mostly water, sugar, caffeine, and quinine. It's also got uh, what some people think is a controversial addition, which is the coloring sunset yellow um, (FCF), which has been um, restricted or banned from about 2000 as a food additive in Scandinavia. 2008, Food Standards Agency called for manufacturers to voluntarily stop using it, along with some other food colorings. Um, they said, oh, you can, you know, you can replace it with these other colors, that any, any EU regulation came into effect in 2010, saying that you need to include a label on your food if you do still have it, which says may have an adverse effect on activity and attention in children. So there were some studies done into food colorings that said it can cause things like um, hyperactivity, disorder, attention, etc. These are not good studies. There actually is no firm scientific proof that this is the case. Same with sugar, actually. So mm -hmm. these kind of these ideas that still persist around sugary food colouring additives, E-numbers, etc. E-number just means it's been registered as a chemical safety using food. Um, the idea that it has an adverse effect on children, I would say the jury's still out. I would probably lean more towards they don't, given that it hasn't been proved and there have been lots of dubious studies into it. But um, who knows? In the meantime, anyway, it's still in Iron Brew. <laughs> um, do you want to know about some stuff? Some foundation of this then, the foundation of Iron Brew. Please do. So, uh, first of all, I suppose in the 19th century, um, soda waters or fizzy drinks really came about as an artificial version of mineral waters, which were considered healthy for, for a long time. We've spoken about that before. I mean, also they were healthier because they'd been filtered. So at least that aspect was healthier than drinking straight from a well. Um, and, and also, I think what you need to remember is that while we might look at the sugar additives now, the high calorie content, and be like, oh, that's really unhealthy, at the time, that was very much an asset. <laughs> you know, it was sold on having lots of calories in it because you needed those calories because you were working hard and you didn't necessarily get them from other places. Um, they were mostly known as aerated waters at the time. And in fact, AG Bar's company in 1889 was known as aerated water manufacturer and cork cutter. Not because those two things were related, because, but because he'd originally worked as a cork cutter and started this new business, but wasn't confident it was going to take off yet. So just sort of did these two unrelated things. Um, on their website, it says, and Iron Brews, it says, launched in 1901 in Scotland, Iron Brew is a carbonated soft drink made to an original secret recipe, shh, which contains 32 flavours. Uh, in 1901, steel workers working on the rebuilding of Glasgow Central Station were drinking too much beer to quench their thirst, so a local soft drinks manufacturer named AG Bar brought to them a tonic-like drink made with caffeine and sugar that could get the workers through a hard day's graft. Iron Brew was born, and long history of it getting Scots through tough situations began. 
right, here's the other version of it um, that, that I have uh, come to the conclusion of. So the first iron brew drink, and to clarify, the, the iron brew that we're talking about is I-R-N-B-R-U. However, I am now talking about iron brew spelled the, I was going to say the correct way. It sounds like I'm mm. shading Scotland's spelling, but I-R-O-N-B-R-E-W. So that was produced by Mars and Waldstein Chemicals Company of New York in 1889 under, under the name iron brew, just spelled as you would expect it to be. And that drink was very popular across North America. It was widely copied. Um, similar beverages were launched uh, in 1898 by um, the by Stevenson and Howell in London, and they supplied soft drinks manufacturers in the UK and also across uh, all the colonies of the time. So it was a widespread and popular drink, Iron Brew already. Um, so many local bottlers, you know, created their own version of it. So despite the official launch date for bars Iron Brew being given as 1901. Uh, the firms AG Bar & Co. and Robert Barr jointly launched, launched their own iron brew drink at least two years prior to that. Hmm. So, trademark. The strongman image that you get on the, like, you know, on the cans and stuff, um, which Barr's adopted for the, for the bottle labels, had been trademark, trademarked by Stevenson & Howell, that company, in 1898. And bars ordered their labels directly from them. And they also sold them like the individual flavours to mix their drinks. And then there's this advertisement for Bars Iron Brew dated 1900. So we know it didn't launch in 1901. Uh, featuring the original Strongman label that can be found in Falkirk's local history archives. Worth a trip. Put it on the spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Bars trademark application for the brand name as we know it now. Iron Brew. Uh, dates from 1946, when the drink was actually still off sale because of wartime regulations. So it wasn't even on sale when it got trademarked as the drink we know it now, but it wasn't 1901. Um, they first commercialised their drink using that new name then in 1948, once they were allowed to. Um, and that also followed the introduction of some labelling restrictions, which cracked down on health claims that were uh, perhaps not true. And also introduced minimum standards for drinks that claimed that they contained minerals such as iron, which I've already explained, they do not contain girders. Um, uh, according to Robert Barr, though, they said there was a commercial commercial rationale behind the unusual spelling that they changed it to. Uh, because, as I'm sure you'll be familiar with, um, iron brew, as it is spelled kind of naturally, had become understood as a generic product category in the UK, whereas adopting that special name, Earnbrew, allowed the firm to have a legally protected brand identity that would enable them to benefit from uh, the popularity that they were seeing at the time. And it obviously paid off, because I don't think I've ever seen an Iron Brew drink spelt, you know, in a standard way. I think I've only ever seen Earnbrew now. Might, might bust that myth. Oh, bust my myth. <laughs> Um, but they became really popular because they they had this advertising comic strip, which I, I won't say too much about, but it's called The Adventures of Barbaro, and um, yes, it was racist. And um, it, they, it was very popular all through the wartime and went on for a long time, but they were just sort of getting on the back of this advertising campaign that had been popular while the drink hadn't actually even been on sale. A um, couple of other big moments for them um, in the more modern day, which I might throw in. 
One was their reaction to the sugar tax that happened in the UK in 2018, which meant that they changed the formula. Um, so the sugar tax was implemented in the UK. It said reduce sugar and everything or pay for it in an uh, effort to combat obesity. Uh, I'm not going to give my opinion on that. Um, so they reduced the <laughs> content to less than five grams per hundred mils and put some sweetness in instead, which made iron brew exempt from the tax. They say most people can't tell the difference between the old and new flavours. We've had this kind of conversation before about old and new versions of things with soft drinks. It seems to really make people angry. Um, <laughs> so there are there are campaigns to save it. Um, and then I also... I the... um, a change.org petition um, that had now closed, but it had nearly 60,000 signatures on it about the, the change in the recipe. <laughs> yeah, not surprised at all. Uh, the other big moment happened last year, which was that the COP26 climate conference was held in Glasgow. And in what I think is an excellent marketing decision by Iron Brew, meant that it was the only soft drink available. <laughs> I mean, I presume they had water, but like the only one, the only soft drink you could buy was Iron Brew at the United Nations Climate Change Conference, which is quite a thing. Um which led to so much coverage. I mean, I think the most memorable one was probably the US um, House of Representatives member, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, trying Iron Brew, and she was saying she loved it, and it tasted just like the Latino soda cola champagne. Um, so some people really kind of like, I love this, and then some people did not love that. <laughs> there were some dislikes. But overall... The ones that made the media were the people who really enjoyed it because that was just more pleasing. So it was a, a really good move, I think. Um, yeah, they said it was the summit surprise. The coverage was worth millions. Not sure how true that actually is because the share price actually remained the same at the time. But it certainly got a lot of exposure, so I don't know. Who knows? It might have opened up new markets abroad or something. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say on Iron Brew for now because I feel like there's some good stories in the marketing of it and I didn't want to step into your territory. Yeah, I mean, marketing, there's there's so much on it. Um, I think it's fair to say that they are pretty bloody good at their marketing. Um, like, from, from the start, Bar were actively on it with regards to understanding how to position it and it was very much just, it's a Scottish drink and we're going full on Scottish with this <laughs> and they've embraced it through and through. Uh, so from the outset, their ads are featuring like world champion wrestlers and Highland game athletes. And it's like you say, that strong man kind of persona. Um, and as you mentioned in the thirties, they had this series, um, the, the Adventures of Barbara running in lots of local papers. Um, that ran for a really long time, actually, from about 1939 to 1970. But obviously, as you can imagine, in that time frame, it was pretty racist. Yeah, um, because I I looked at a couple of images. I don't know if you're about to say this, but I looked at a couple of images. And the, the, the essential story is that it's a, an Indian person um, yeah. with a Scottish person. Yeah, uh, serving it to them and yeah. Called Barbara and the Scottish person's called Sandy. And it's, it's very much inspired by Rudyard Kipling's writings. So you can draw your own conclusions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the time, it 
was probably great and people loved it. Um, but I think that's what Iron Brew have done so well. And that's what I'm going to talk about, essentially, is how they have adapted to the ever-changing world of marketing. But they've also been kind of ahead of the trend every time. It's like, you know, modern day marketing, people will say, you know, oh, what's popular right now? Because we need to be doing that. Mm -hmm. It seemed to be that Iron Brew were doing it before it really took off. They just seemed to really get it. Um, so yeah, they did the comic strip ads, and I think it was because of some of the negativity around the Barbaro um, comic strip, they removed, I think it was the last kind of essence of it. There was a huge sign, a neon sign in Glasgow Central Stations, um, still reference, referencing Barbaro up until 1983. Mm -hmm. um, so that got taken down in 83, and that was just replaced with um, an Iron Brew advert that said, your other national drink. Mm -hmm. um, so from the 80s as you mentioned there was the slogan made in Scotland from Girders um, so that featured lots of ads and um, campaigns where drinkers were becoming unusually strong or durable and in some of them like magnetic <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah they, they had fun with that in the 80s and as you mentioned they, they kind of they take a lot of time to think about how people perceive the drinks. So there was one about getting through tough times. They did a big campaign around that as well. How I improve could get you through the day or through a tough time. It certainly got me through um, a, a tough time in the morning of the Fringe Festival. Me too, man. Oh, <laughs> I mean, Jesus. you've got water, you've got sugar, you've got caffeine, you're sorted. Then in 2000, this was like... 2000 was the year where they started doing some quite maverick kind of marketing, really dangerous stuff before other brands were kind of brave enough to do it, before it became the norm. Um, so they started off with some kind of light touch ads. It was like a grandfather who was enjoying his iron brew and his grandson was really interested in it, wanted some. And in order to like put him off it, he took his teeth out and freaked the little boy out. And, you know, it's very different from to, like the nice wholesome word as original. Mm -hmm. It was nice, it's a lot more shocking. There was another one where there was a senior citizen in a motorized wheelchair uh, robbing the supermarket for Iron Brew. So they, they, <laughs> they got braver and did some stuff, but then they they started to get a bit more controversial and started having lots of complaints. Um, there was one advert, so it first aired in 2000, but then it also aired in 2003. That's when it started getting complaints. And it was an advert, I actually remember it. It was um, like a family around the piano, mum, dad and a little boy, and they were singing quite a funny song. I can't remember all the lyrics, but it was like a really funny song. Um, but the last line of the song, the mum sings, even though I used to be a man. And I remember uh, right. that advert. Mm -hmm. um, and it had quite a bit of backlash um, because obviously it was offending the trans community. Um, so lots of complaints. It was taken to Ofcom and Ofcom were like, um, yeah, this is this is bad. We're going to take it off air. Not because of the, even though I used to be a man bit, it's the last bit actually where the mum's shaving at the end. That's probably a touch mm -hmm. too far. <laughs> um, so that got taken off the air in 2003 after that. Um, the marketing agency quite badly pushed back and released a statement saying, oh, we're just trying to, you know, get everyone a feel for the essence of the maverick nature of the brand. But it was a, a, a bit too much. Depends who you use though, doesn't it? 
Exactly. It's like, yeah. There's, there's maverick and there's offensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can be you can be edgy and queer, but you have to then get those queer people into your space to do it for you. Exactly. You can't, what I'm Not presuming, just... I mean, I haven't seen it, but what I'm presuming is it was just an actress that they painted some stuff I'm on or something. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a, a trans yeah. woman yeah. doing it. Yeah. Um, But that same year, they just seemed to get lots and lots of complaints. I think people were watching them and looking for it. Yeah, once you've done one, the eye's on you. There were a few. There was was one where there was a particularly um, difficult delivery happening. A woman having a baby and she was having some complications. And in order to entice the baby out, the midwife was trying to coax it out with iron brew. Right. So that annoyed some people. They were like, that's a bit insensitive. Yeah. and then there was one where it was just a cow. This is like a billboard, um, a cow, and it just said, when I'm a burger, I want to be washed down with iron brew. So mm-hmm. that was a bit of a weird one. <laughs> um, the other two are actually quite funny, and I like them. One is for uh, when they launched Diet Iron Brew. They had a billboard of a woman in a bikini, and it just said Diet Iron Brew, and she's saying, I never knew four and a half inches could give me so much pleasure. <laughs> that myself. Yeah, it's quite funny. Um, and then there's another one where it's just a, a really sad looking person in like goth makeup and it just says, Cheer up, goth, have an iron brew. <laughs> that got loads of complaints I for can see... bullying. I was just about to say, I can see how that would be copied. Yeah. And really yeah. annoy the poor goths who just want to be left alone. <laughs> but it's it's interesting. The one that, as far as I could see, so the woman, um, the difficult difficult delivery advert got 50 complaints mm-hmm. um the cow wanting to be washed down with iron brew got 700 complaints mm. which is crazy bloody vegans mm. um but that that got cleared <laughs> they were like shut up it's fine <laughs> <laughs> wow even though it had more complaints um, <laughs> uh but yeah they've always been not too scared to just be very forward with their marketing mm-hmm. and doing what they feel is right but one thing I found I'd not heard a bit before was the Iron Brew Carnival. Have you heard about that before? Nope. I think because I did this research around about the same time that I did the Buckfast research and found out about the National Buckfast Day, which was quite new, mm-hmm. started in 2015, I think I assumed that in my head the Iron Brew Carnival was a new thing. But actually, it's been going for over 100 years. Um, oh, right. So is it like in Falkirk or something? Well, it started off as an event for the people of Glasgow after the war. Mm-hmm. Um, it was originally held at Kelvin Hall. Oh, okay. Um, Lovely area, by the way. Was... That's where I stay when I go up to Glasgow. I like that place. It's got the well, museum it, and the gardens. It was. It was. It sounded amazing. It was like a proper old school carnival. Um, I mean, they had the circus and the elephants and all the sure. shitty animal stuff going on. Um, but all the lovely old school traditional fairs and candy floss and it sounded lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, during the Second World War, though, obviously Kevin Hall was used as a factory for barrage and convoy balloons. Um, so didn't have carnival for a while. Um, but after the war, the carnival reopened uh, in 1947, 1948. Um, yeah, 1947 through to 1948. So the carnival always takes place just after Christmas and runs through into January for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but after the war, they had a bigger extravaganza and it was a six-week show with the circus and everything. Wow. Um, That's longer than the, the Fringe. 
The Iron Brew Festival, longer than, longer than the Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> it's it's not as long as that now, though. It's, okay. It's moved. So in the, in the 80s, it moved to the SEC. S, yeah, SEC in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have the circus and the animals anymore. Um, it's essentially now like a big indoor winter wonderland. Okay. Yeah. So lots of um, fair rides, lots of food and drinks and stuff for the kids. Big family event. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, so it started in 1919. So in 2019, they had the 100th year of Ironbrook Carnival. And they did a big um, event for that. They had a hall of memories there. Uh, they'd got old memorabilia, exhibits, photos, footage. They'd asked lots of people to like send in their photos and memories. And they had a nice big celebration of it. It was really nice. I did try and look online to see if I could find any of the footage or exhibits. But unfortunately, we couldn't. But mm. Just think that was a really nice thing to do, but amazed that I'd never heard of the Iron Brew Carnival. Before. No, me neither. Spreadsheet. Um, spreadsheet. Um, before it... I move on to actual Iron Brew drinks, yes, what not. I'm also going to do a fringe full circle. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so their most latest marketing campaign was at the Edinburgh Fringe, and we didn't actually see it. Um, and I thought we didn't see it because it was only there for one weekend, but it was there the weekend we were there. Oh, okay. <laughs> what was this? So at um, at the Mound, they had the UK's first venue in a can. So they had a giant iron brew can, oh. and it was actually a venue. It was called the Canned Laughter okay. stage. Uh, we probably didn't go there because it was um, showcasing the finest TikTok comedians and stars. Mm. Which is probably why you're interested. <laughs> mm. uh, but, like I say, always ahead of the curve with the old marketing. UK's yeah. first venue in a can. TikTok stars. It's far too modern for you. <laughs> it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, you know, we were there for a long weekend and we saw as much as we could, but it's so big, that festival. You can't possibly see everything. I did 32 shows yes. in, in six days, which I was pleased with. Um, as my uh, as my pace, but still, <laughs> that yeah. that still leaves like about three and a half thousand shows I didn't see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, before I move on to Iron Brew drinks, actually, I think my I want Iron Brew there. drinks. You keep teasing me. I'm so sorry. It's just I I was I've been watching lots of Iron Brew adverts, <laughs> and I watched obviously all the ones that offended people, but I also found one. I don't know if it was because it was perhaps it was only on TV in Scotland or I just don't remember it. Mm-hmm. But there was an advert where um, it was a woman who just had a baby. She was in the bed with a baby cuddling it. And there was the husband next to her and then some other people in the room. And they said, oh, have you thought of a name yet? And she's looking at the husband. She's like, oh, I really like the name Fanny. And he looks at her and looks at the camera like... Mm. <laughs> he's like, I'm not sure. And then she hands him an iron brew and he mm. drinks it. And he's like, oh, I actually quite like the name Fanny. And then the woman next to her is like, oh, it must be grandma or something. Because she says, oh, my mother was a Fanny. She'll come from a long line of Fannies. <laughs> and just the word Fanny gets said a lot. And then she's like, actually, I've made this. And she brings out a big jumper that's got the word Fanny written on it. And it was just great. So that was my favourite one that I found. I'm Fanny, predicting right now that if I come to visit you at Christmas, you are going to be wearing a jumper with the word Fanny written on it. <laughs> yeah. I know how you Iron love a stupid jumper. <laughs> Fanny jumper. Yes. <laughs> on the list. Yes. Okay, that, that was um, worth the detour, but I do want some cocktails now, please. <laughs> cocktails, yes. Yeah. 
details um so i wanted to start it off with the pre-packaged ready to drink wkd iron brew <laughs> okay <laughs> um wasn't gonna mention it but have to mention it because uh it's the one that spells it as r-i-r-o-n brew oh okay it's not earn brew so i have seen it not as yeah but I looked into it because I was interested in the whole trademark thing. Mm. I was wondering, like, are they in cahoots with bars? Have they got trademark? How are they allowed to do this? Yeah. And then I noticed. I was like, oh, it's spelt I-R-O-N. Mm. Mm. Generic. Uh, so, yeah. WKDI Ron Brew. That's been around since 1996, did you know? Um, I did not know. But are they... So, I presume it looks like Iron Brew. Uh... Yes, it's I think, very. I oriented. think I've had it, but I think I just never yeah. read the label. <laughs> I think yeah, you probably had it. Like I remember when I was a teenager, WKD was just two different things. I wasn't aware of flavors. It was just either the yeah. orange one or the blue exactly. One. So I think I had it, but I just one. didn't know they were calling it Iron Brew. I don't remember that. Yeah, I think I always assumed it was like Lucasade flavor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Also, just before I go into it, the. <laughs> The irony of this is during the temperance movement, um, the Salvation Army in particular used to really push Iron Brew on people uh, instead of the demon drink. It was always like the alternative to alcohol mm -hmm. they would recommend Iron Brew. Um, and here we are talking about how to mix it with booze. Yeah, uh, they'd be so proud. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did also find an Iron Brew spirit. You can buy Iron Brew gin. Um, it's made by the Bolton Gin Company. Mm -hmm. um, it's not bright orange like Iron Brew. It looks like um, like a whiskey. Really, it's quite a dark brown. Mm. It looks nice. It looks pleasant. The bottle looks pleasant. It looks mm -hmm. premium. Yeah. Uh, so I'd imagine that's got a nice flavour rather than a. Well, I've had a lovely time with mine. They really, you know, you might scoff at it, but the flavours really do match. Well, the G and B. I would move on to next, mm -hmm. which is the Gin and Brew. It's a popular cocktail mm -hmm. in Scotland. Just, yeah, straight out. Normally Edinburgh gin, because obviously yeah. Scotland. So an Edinburgh gin, an iron brew, is the G&B. I found a lovely recipe for an iron brew margarita. Ooh, I've got, see, I've got lots of iron brew left over after this, because I popped to Tesco's earlier. Um, that's going to be the next one. Please tell me how to so, do it. Uh, so, essentially, it's... A regular margarita, as you would with your tequila and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But you're introducing some iron brew syrup. Oh. Does that mean so, I have to... Does that mean I have to condense my iron brew in a pan? Yes, okay. you do. Um, I don't know where, and they didn't say where, but according to the recipe I found, you can buy iron brew syrup. Oh, I'll make my own. Assuming it's got to be Scotland. But they did give a recipe on how to make it, which is, yeah, mm -hmm. essentially boil it, simmer it until it's reduced. Um, they did specifically say it would be better if you could find the old school 1901 glass bottle of iron No, I'm brew. not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely not sugar-free, obvs. Yeah. Um, so full fat iron brew and reduce it and make some syrup and then make a margarita out of it. Okay. They did say, um, do rim the glass with salt. Not I always rim. Like that. Always rim, mm -hmm. but... With salt, they said, you know, with iron brew, because it's so sweet, you might think that it not work with the salt, but it does. No, 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 I always, I always salty mm -hmm. rim. I've never sugar rimmed. It's 
I'll never forget that Marmite rim you gave me. Oof. That was an intense experience, but wasn't it good? <laughs> it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Malibu. Oh, I don't think I'm going to like this one, but crack on. It's, it's like, I'll be honest, the majority of the cocktails I found weren't that inventive. <laughs> the margarita was the most exciting. Right, okay. Uh, the, the Malibu is literally get some glass. Uh, get a glass, put some ice in it, two shots of Malibu, top it up with iron brew. <laughs> the, a, gross and no. Um, and the first version, the Freudian, Freudian version you said, where you were like, get some glass. Sounded, get some glass. Sounded more Scottish. <laughs> yeah. A method. Um, yeah, I was getting a bit fed up. I was like, a lot of these aren't cocktails. They're just like, put, put some, put some booze in, in iron then, brew. Yeah, yeah. So I dug deeper. Mm-hmm. And I found a YouTube video from a guy. Well, the channel is called Still It. Mm-hmm. Kind of gave me the same vibes as a YouTube channel I used to watch when I was a teenager called Will It Blend, which was a guy that just used to put anything he could find yeah. in a blender to see if it would blend. I remember that. It's essentially this with the guy that's like, can I distill it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's an Australian guy. Um, very nice, very easy to watch. But it did feel... I feel like I took one for the team watching this in order to document it because it was one of those annoying 30 minute long YouTube videos that could have been a five minute long YouTube video plus it had like influencer marketing advertising sponsor bullshit Mm -hmm. so I powered through um but yeah he was like I've got a can of iron brew I've got lots of iron brew actually and I want to distill it and and do what I can with it um so he he went like full on he went through the whole process the first thing he did he was like i've decided that i'm going to actually ferment it first before distilling it so he he added some brewing yeast to the iron brew mm-hmm. and left it for a week or so and he said it just went nasty he showed a picture of it it just looked like bog water and he said yeah this is not good i'm not going to use that um so he tried again for a second time and he used um, Hornindal yeast, which is a yeast they use to make whiskey. Um, still, it it wasn't a disaster, but there was a lot of trial and error of how much he he had to use more yeast than normal, and eventually he got there. Um, and then oh, this is where it did actually get really good. Um, he was like, "While that ferments, it's gonna take about a week or two. So what shall we do?" He only went and found the guy from the bloody Fanny advert for an interview. <gasps> wow. So, yeah. So he was like, um, yeah, I'm just going to chat to somebody. I, need, I feel like I need to tell someone that I'm trying to distill Iron Brew. Who shall I talk to? Mm-hmm. How about the guy from the Fanny advert? So he got him on and started chatting to him. Uh, and it was like, yeah, it was a really funny interview, actually. He talked about what well, he quite proudly said about how Iron Brew outsells Coca-Cola in Scotland, blah, blah, mm-hmm, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then they did a little bit of um, talking about the advert. And uh, I had two key takeaways from the interview. One was he said, yeah, when the advert was on, it was a bit of a nightmare. People used to like stop in the street and like wind their car windows down just to shout fanny at me. Sure. Um, but he said, I still get royalties from the advert. And he said, I really like that when I get the emails, the subject line is fanny usage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's not going to be a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fanny usage, 60p this week. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, Fanny Guy was a nice delight while things fermented. Nice. Uh, oh. Oh yeah! Oh no! Yeah, that one just caught up with me as well. Um, So then, yeah, we had like another ten minutes of this guy trying to create drama, talking about how the ABV in the wash was really, really low. Oh no, what are we gonna do? And then he just starts talking about things that go over my head about distilling. Mm -hmm. I was like, whatever. Then I skipped through all of that shit and got to the tasting. (laughs) So I got to all all that shit being the stuff I usually talk about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, look, I, I kind of watched it it was like oh the the, the alcoholic content obviously because it's iron brew is not great so we need to do things and then he started talking about plates and then four plates and then more distilling mm. and then it was all of a sudden it was clear and it was yeah, ready okay great <laughs> <laughs> thanks uh and then tasting he got some posh drinks whiskey liqueur spirits guy on um and he was brutally honest about it (laughs) he was like okay i'm gonna be honest so give it the nose first he said it smells slightly soapy uh extremely sweet it doesn't smell like a distilled spirit it just smells like sweet and soap and it's he said it's not a bad smell but it's just not like a spirit that you'd ever smell and think oh, I want to drink that it's just a weird smell mm-hmm. like maybe a clean in product or something always a good sign then they tasted it and he was like okay it's very sweet it's just tastes like confectionery it just tastes like pure sugar he said the second kind of flavour once it's gone over my tongue and the sweet's gone for a split second I get like a hot gobstopper there's a slight hint of that iron brew spiciness there but then straight away from there, it goes into like a minerally chalky, almost like a paracetamol flavour. <laughs> wow. That's, so, quite, um, that's quite a journey. Um, yeah. And not, not a pleasant one. <laughs> yeah. And he, w- he was trying really hard to like be nice but be honest. And I think the last thing he said, he was like, the finish on it, the finish on it is really, really long. But it's not good. <laughs> God. Um, so then this Aussie guy who obviously spent way too long, uh, making the stuff mm-hmm. was like trying to salvage it and he was like, oh, maybe we should mix it in with iron brew. Let's like, just put this in and top it with iron brew and then have a taste. And the other guy, I don't know if he was just like over it or genuinely didn't have an iron brew, but he was like, I, oh, sorry, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, and then yeah, he... my, my taste buds are worth quite a lot of money. I don't want to do this again. <laughs> so he was like, I don't want to do that. And then the other guy, the Aussie guy was like, well, I'm going to do it. Tune in next week. And I was like, I'm not tuning in or watching anything else. So my guess is it's, it is shit with iron brew as well. <laughs> Great. <laughs> So I think so the moral of the story is just just drink the iron brew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know how it feels to wait two weeks to make something that tastes like shite. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, just on questionable cocktails, I had one more to throw into the mix, only because um, I mentioned to our friend Eugene earlier that we were doing. He, he was in Edinburgh with us that we were doing a Buckfast and Iron Brew thing, and he said that he had a friend who used to regularly um, drink Buckfast mixed with pineapple Bacardi Breezer. Yeah. Yep. So I said, was it called a Bacardi Breezer? Nice. So I think that's 
you know, that's as good as any of the cocktails you've mentioned to throw into the mix. <laughs> I think it's, it's more creative than quite a lot of the ones I've found. Isn't it? <laughs> Sounds repugnant, but there you go. Um, anything else? Are we done? I think I'm done. All right. Once again... I want a buck fast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is well overdue. We really should. Well, I just had to make sure we get it next year when we go back. Uh, once again, apologies, Scotland. So our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to gird our loins and drain our bucky balls. Cheers, everybody. 